So how many of us would say that we are generous? How many of us would say that we are generous people? How many of us would say that we're disciplined in generosity? We can be disciplined in many things. We can be disciplined in a skill of like playing an instrument. We can be disciplined in our study and in our schoolwork. We can be disciplined at a certain trade. Some of us spend years studying a specific discipline that most of you are probably doing five days out of the week. But how many of us would say we're disciplined in generosity? Like we actually work at being generous. Here's a, here's a statistic that should hit home to most of us in this room. At the beginning of this series of spiritual disciplines and rhythms, as we reevaluated, we asked everyone in the church to pick two or three spiritual disciplines from a list of about 12 that they just really wanted to work on, whether it's a spiritual practice that you know of that you just want to do better at, or maybe a spiritual practice that you were just curious about because it's just not part of your daily rhythm. Out of 123 submissions, 10 people picked generosity. 8% of our church chose generosity as a spiritual practice or a spiritual rhythm that they wanted to lean into over this summer. Now, that means either we think that we got it understood, nailed it, we're good at it, check that box, move on to the next. But as we all know, like we can always be better at these practices. Or Maybe that just means the thought of generosity or even leaning into generosity is such a scary thing for us that we just don't want to. We don't want to check that box. Me, personally, I'm trying to figure out why our lead pastor is in Florida and has left me here to teach on giving and generosity, but that'll be a one-on-one I can schedule when he gets back. But we'll work through, we're going to work through this together, right? Because we, thank God, we have his written word that instructs us on these things. Amen? So we're going to work, whether it's, whether it's one side or the other, the 8%, wherever the other 92% of us are at, we're going to work through this and thank God that we have his written word to guide us. But how many of us would say that we are disciplined in generosity? Like we actually work at generosity, Now, I'm asking this question as we lean into generosity because I think out of all the spiritual disciplines, this is probably the one that's easiest for us to literally mail in, right? So we think of generosity, and within the church, we think of generosity as giving. For some of us who's been in church for a while, we think giving is tithing. Okay, tithing is giving 10% of my income. I give 10% of my income, therefore I'm generous, all set. But as we're going to see, and as we've seen throughout this entire series, is is there's all of these practices are so much more rich, no pun intended, but so much more rich 
than what we can sometimes see at a surface level, right? We said all the way back in week one, talking about spiritual rhythms and practices, that spiritual rhythms help us to be present with God, ourselves, and others. We said that these practices help us to know and to hear God, not just to know about God, but to actually know him, to be in a living relationship with him. And generosity is one of these practices. And they also help us be aware of all that's happening in us and around us. As God invites us to share his love with others. And I said this before, for me, working through all of these practices and as they've been taught, there's always something that I can identify that's competing within me. There's always something that's pulling me away from this rich understanding of all of these practices, right? We talked about Sabbath rest and solitude. But we also talked about how it's so hard to just find time with our endless to-do list. It's a discipline to actually make time for rest and silence and solitude. It takes work. We talked about prayer, so how some of us may feel inadequate or maybe ineloquent, like we just don't know what to say and we can't pray. We talked about reading scripture and how a, the pursuit of knowledge leaves us with just a big head without us letting it penetrate and transform our hearts. So then the question is for me, like, what's at odds with generosity? If generosity takes work, if generosity is a spiritual practice and a spiritual rhythm that's going to take discipline and work, I, my default is to ask, okay, God, what is competing for my generosity? As we heard from the scripture that was read and the scripture that we're going to dive into this morning, there's something so much deeper than just checking a box or mailing in an envelope. In fact, one of the resources for this week, when you signed up to lean into a spiritual practice or a spiritual rhythm, we, we handed out a resource list that's still available, and, and there are different books that we suggest for these different practices. One of the books is Fields of Gold by Andy Stanley, which I only just recently read, but what he talks about in the book is not so much the practical practice of generosity and giving, but the perspective that we are to have as we give. Because biblical generosity is a change in our hearts. It's not just a change in our checkbooks. It's not just a change in our time management skills. It's a change of our heart. And this practice is an overflow of that changed heart. So, because God wants the heart of the giver more than he wants the gift. God wants the heart of the giver more than he even needs the gift. But this opportunity to be generous is a heart issue. And when I think of what's competing with my own generosity, the question I need to ask is, what's in my heart that's competing with this? The practice of biblical generosity is not just about the gift, it's about the heart, the giver. There's no better example of this than in 2 Corinthians 8. We read a portion of it this morning, but here Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. 
And this is a time where the, the church in Jerusalem is famished because of a famine. So churches, Paul is writing to churches to give to the church in Jerusalem. And so he's writing to the church in Corinth right now. He's writing to the Corinthians, his second letter. And he uses a church in Macedonia as an example of what biblical generosity looks like. The framework for biblical heartfelt, heart-transformed generosity. So, So this portion here gives us a glimpse into God's heart. If God were to say, this is generosity, that's what this story tells us. That's why Paul's using this story to remind us. But before we go to Scripture, I do want to say, like, so often when we think of generosity, we think of finances. And I've been thinking about this a lot the past few weeks, just how generosity works itself out within the church and even within culture, within our lives. Because generosity can be more than finances, right? It can be gifts. It can be talents. As I've talked to people about generosity, talked about time. We can be generous, more generous with our time. But as I like filter through all of those things for myself and try and boil them down, I'm like, oh, it really just all comes down to money. It really comes down to where do I want to spend my time? How many of us feel that what competes for our time is our work? And it competes with our time because the lifestyle we live, the bills we have to pay, it competes with our time because of what work, what work is going to bring us. So Paul, in 2 Corinthians 8, starts writing to the church in Corinth, and he's using this example, the Macedonian church. It starts in verse 1 where he says, And now, brothers and sisters... We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That is amazing. And it doesn't make sense. Their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So he's saying, I want, to, I want to tell you about this church whose overflowing joy plus extreme poverty resulted in rich generosity. How, much, how many of us would say that that equation is something that we think about? Or that even makes sense? Like, we're, I can think about overflowing joy equals rich generosity, but plus extreme poverty. I can think of extreme poverty equals maybe frugality, maybe a bit more practical. But overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity? Is that something that we live by? Is that something that we even understand? Maybe it's something we're looking at the Scripture and we're like, I don't get it. How are we going to make sense of this? We'll remember this equation because we're going to see it again. But look back a little further. I think there's something even more important in this verse that I don't want us to miss. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. 
the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Without knowing first the grace of God, our framework and perspective on generosity isn't going to add up. Without knowing first the grace of God, this equation will not make sense. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. Does not add up apart from the grace of God. So now that we're on the edge of our seats trying to figure out how this equation is going to make sense, Paul goes on and he says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Here, Paul describes how this church, out of their own poverty, extreme poverty, pleaded and begged with him, to give to the church in Jerusalem. The end of verse 5 helps us to give us a sense of what this eagerness is fueled by. It says, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord. So you want a framework of understanding this equation of generosity first to the Lord. Of what little they had, they counted it first as belonging to God. How much does that change that equation when you account first that everything that I have already belongs to God? What sort of perspective will that give us? This is a really important perspective as followers of Jesus. We honor God first. We learned last week as we talked about the spiritual practice of work Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments is do not have other gods beside me. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Honor God first. Before I got into ministry... I owned a swimming pool business for 15 years. And it was a successful business. I I, I bought the business when I was 21 or 22. And by the time I was 23, I was married, had a house, had a couple cars, had a company truck. We were going on vacations. And I gave to the church. And I was a part of the church. I gave my time. I gave my money to the church. But the framework that I had was that I took care of all of those other things first, and then I gave to the church. And to be honest with you, I was just fueled by pride. To be honest with you, I loved it to see the response on people's faces when I said I bought a business when I was 22. 
I loved being able to kind of show off success. There's some pride stirring in my heart. God didn't want that heart from the giver. He certainly didn't need my gift. But looking back, I can see that. And there's a difference there. There's a difference between giving God first, your first fruits, right? That's, an, that's Old Testament language where, where the, the Old Testament uh, talks about giving your first fruits. So this would be a culture where you depended on what you harvested to survive. And you didn't know what the weather was going to bring. You didn't know how your crop was going to go that season. But your first fruits, the very first things to pop out of the ground, you gave to God. That's challenging for me in my own generosity. That's the heart stuff that I work through in my own generosity. Am I disciplined in that? Do I work at that? Definitely not as much as I should, but everything that we have belongs to God. That's the framework for understanding the scripture. They gave to the Lord first. This changes our perspective on generosity. Like me, before all... Oftentimes we give out of what's left over, or we give when we can. But this principle is huge when it comes to generosity, and I think this principle changes everything when it comes to generosity. Everything that we have belongs to God first. Our finances, our gifts, our abilities, our time. And then think of it this way. He blesses us by letting us keep some of it, by letting us use some of it for his glory. And sometimes, too, we may think of it like this as far as God's economy and how our gifts and our talents and our finances work. We plug God into what's going on. So if we're giving out of our, I don't know what we call it, last fruits, I guess, or if we're giving, if we're giving off of the back end, right, we're just plugging God into what works for us. Sometimes, too, in our, in our talents and our abilities, we have this mindset of like, uh, you know, like me, for example, I play guitar and I can sing. So you have this mindset of, oh, God, God recognizes that and says, hey, that's cool. Want to do that for me? Our gifts and our talents, we practiced or we studied or we earned or our abilities or our talents, and then God said, can I have some of that? We make money. We have our own economy. And we think God said, oh, that's pretty cool that you came up with this whole currency thing. Can I have some of that? And we own or manage our time, and we got, decide how God fits into it. But did you ever think God created all of these things as part of his creation, and he invites us to steward these things for his glory? God gave me gifts and talents and abilities and finances, and everything I have all belongs to God. Now, I have the opportunity to steward that for his glory. The owner is God. Our opportunity is to manage these things. Sometimes you'll hear that phrase, like biblical stewardship. But what does someone, someone steward? Literally, the definition is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. And are we generous with those things? Are we disciplined in our generosity? Do we work at leveraging all that God has given for his glory and for his kingdom? That's a convicting question. 
Paul goes on to say in verse 8, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So this isn't a command, but he's using the church in Macedonia as an example to test their love. And the, if the Bible says that we will be known as followers of Jesus by our love for one another, if the sincerity of our love is tested by comparing it to our generosity, then couldn't we also say that we will be known as followers of Jesus by our generosity? The discipline, the work of being generous with one another. So here, Paul finally just kind of drops the curtain and lets us in, and he says in verse 9, he shows us how that equation from earlier makes sense. And he compares it to the life of the one that we follow. He compares it to Jesus. For we know the grace, for we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for our sake, became poor, so that through his poverty, we might become rich. This is how God's economy works, is through the framework of what we've received because of the person of Jesus Christ. On my best days, I'm able to put on whatever lenses allow me to see that everything that I have is from God and everything that I have is by the grace of God. There are members of this church who are literally, I was speaking to one this morning, who is literally celebrating the fact that he is alive today. That's his perspective. Over everything, he said, at least I'm here. I get to be here. Joy plus poverty equals rich generosity. Joy, grace-filled, God-given joy plus anything will result in rich generosity because it all belongs to God. It all comes from God, and yet he gives us the opportunity to experience love and generosity. Christ is our example of how joy can exist beside generosity, uh, uh, can exist beside poverty and result in generosity. Christ is the reason that our joy can exist beside poverty and result in generosity. If you don't know the love that God has for you through the person of Jesus Christ, then I know well over a hundred people here who would love to share that with you. And it would be my prayer that you check the box on our connect card that says, Become a follower of Jesus. That's how this equation adds up. Aside from the grace of God, it's not going to make sense. Aside from a relationship with Jesus, it's not going to make sense. Aside from the love and community that you're going to feel in a body of believers who've chosen to follow Jesus, this equation is not going to make sense. But Jesus knew that everything belongs to God, and it's 
It's only when we release those things instead of holding them for ourselves that we're able to see the love of God flourish. We see the love of God flourish. Just through that framework of understanding first that everything belongs to God and then understanding second, the grace that we've received. My best days I can put on Whatever set of glasses allows me to see that, and it infiltrates every single decision that I make. In Acts 20, Jesus is quoted as saying, it is better to give than to receive. And there have been literal studies on how giving a gift will bring you happiness, right? And we can all relate to that. We can all relate to giving somebody a gift and seeing the look on their face, especially when we know it's something that they really, really wanted or really, really needed. But I believe Jesus is also reminding us when he says that it's better to give than to receive. If you look within the context of that quote, that the life of his followers is not one that is self-serving, others-oriented, like Jesus, all that we do should be for the sake of others. So you might be thinking now, okay, I want to give. God is doing a work in my heart. I want to be generous. I want to see God's economy. I want to see how God's economy works. I want to join in on that. Paul goes on to write verses 10 through 13. And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Here's what I have to say about this. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does. So Paul is asking this question, what do you have? What has God entrusted to you for you to steward. It may be financial, it may be talents, it may be abilities, it may be time. And really, I think it's just a combination of all of these things. What do you have? He then goes on to write, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is quality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So here Paul emphasizes equality. The goal is not to live in extreme poverty or wealth, but for there to be equality. So Paul gives us these two practical questions. What do I have, and what is the need? How can I work at generosity? How can I practice the discipline of generosity? Ask yourself these two questions. What do I have and what is the need? Honestly, ask yourself these two questions. Pray that God does a work in your heart to answer these questions honestly. And lastly, as I close up, I know for me, what keeps me from answering these questions is just flat-out fear. Often I ask the question, what do I have and what might I need? 
What do I have right now and what might I need in the future? And what is that in me? That's greed. That's a form of greed. And we know that greed kills generosity. I don't wake up aspiring to be greedy. None of us wake up aspiring to be greedy. But if we're not being generous out of fear, what is that? What is that in our heart? We, all right, God wants our heart more than he wants or needs the gift. So what is that in our heart? That's competing with our generosity. As part of that same uh, swimming pool company that I bought when I was really young, I made the decision to close on Sundays. I would like to say that I was like just completely aligned with God's spirit in me and wanted to diligently practice the discipline of Sabbath. But really, I was so young at that point that I just knew it was the right thing to do. And honestly, underneath that was probably this little bit of pride that said, oh, look at me, I'm faithful. Because when I made this decision, I was part of a buying group of other stores in New England, like a dozen other pool stores. And you should have seen the faces or even the comments that I got when I said I was closed on Sunday. When you're in the pool business, Saturday and Sunday is like your prime time. I closed up on Sunday. And the response, the reactions that I got were absolutely crazy. You know how that worked out. I was fearful when business started to go down that we started opening on Sundays. I would try to keep my distance from the business, but out of fear, what might I need? Or what don't I have? Look into myself to churn up as much as I can. It's hard for me to be generous in that moment. When I'm feeling like I need to do whatever I can just to keep my head above water, it's hard for me to be generous in that moment. Fear competes with generosity. Fear can lead to greed. And there's, there's so many other things that would compete with our ability to be generous. That's just one that God's working in my heart. Because the fact of the matter is it, that, that generosity, right? Answering that question, what do I have and what is the need? That's a, that's a, that's a faith-filled response. To be able to say, no, God, I have this, but there is a need, so I'm going to give. I don't know if I'm going to need what I give in the future. I'm a little nervous. You know, maybe it's just carving out some time to serve downstairs or to serve your community or to serve your family. There's so many different ways that we can be generous. And I realize... You know, a lot of the conversation around generosity, especially in the church world, is just giving and finances and tithing. But there's so many ways that we can be generous. And and here's the truth. Especially 92% of us, a little bit, the 8% of us, there's something for all of us. There's an area in all of our lives where we are being called to be more generous. 
we should all be able to identify, whether it's relationally, whether it's financially, areas of our life where God is now moving us and calling us to be more generous. So that's really our, that is our next step for this morning. You'll see on your Connect card that it says the 90-day giving challenge. But really what that's going to be is a 90-day generosity challenge. And this is something that we'll, we'll do periodically as a church. But what it is, it's, it's an encouragement to step out in faith, to commit to being more generous, whether that's with your time, whether that's with your money, whether that's with your gifts and abilities. It could be giving more at the church. It could be serving more at the church. It could be joining a team at the church. But it goes beyond the church as well. It could be committing time to relationships, committing time to family, giving towards organizations, the cause that you're passionate about. But what we want to do for these 90 days And how it's set up is that periodically throughout those 90 days, we're just going to send encouraging emails, some resources for you to encourage you in taking that step. Because, right, that's a fearful step sometimes. Because we know, though, and we're confident that God is going to use that decision. God blesses generosity. And it's hard work. It's a hard discipline. So if you, you check that 90-day giving challenge, and when you put your Connect card in the giving box in the back of the worship center, we're just going to be in touch with you throughout the next 90 days and encourage you along. But all of us can be more generous. I'm convinced of that. The question is whether we want to do the work, whether we want to be disciplined in it. I pray that we all make that decision. The band's going to lead us a little bit in this song, Yes, I Will, which just speaks of assurance and confidence in all that we do, in all that's going on around us, and even in our fear. So would you stand with me before the band leaves us, and I would like to just pray over us. A great, good God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the people of your your church, past and present, these examples that we can look to. God, we thank you most for your son, Jesus. Without knowing him and knowing the joy and the love and the fullness that's experienced in a relationship with him, God, none of this is going to make sense. But yet because of him, we have the opportunity to know you, not just know about you, but to actually know you, to be in a living, thriving, flourishing relationship with you. God, I pray that you give us opportunity to work at being generous in our lives, God, because we know that we will be known by our love for one another, and we know that our generosity for one another is a test of that love. God, give us, we invite you to give us generous hearts. It's it's work because it doesn't come naturally to us. And we'll admit that. But we know the fruit of it. And we know it's only by your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit that's made possible. We pray these things in the mighty, mighty name 
your son, Jesus. Amen.